we're gonna start and speak today from a story that has really been like the heartbeat for us when it comes to relationship and seeing how Jesus goes about relationship. It's, it's in John chapter 21. If you have a Bible, turn to it. So what's happening here is that Jesus has risen from the grave. You should clap for that. <laughs> Jesus has risen from the grave. Come on, it's Easter season. And he is out and about. He's messing with people, he's talking to people. He's like unhinged Jesus with resurrected life. His disciples have gone back to fishing in a place of shame, probably feeling like purpose has been lost. Here's where we find them, starting in verse one. Afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, also known as Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them, and they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, haven't you caught any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him for he had taken it off and jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish for they were not far from shore about 100 yards. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you have just caught. So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153. But even with so many in the net, it was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread, and gave it to them, and did the same with the fish. We're gonna talk from this story, we're gonna talk today about this pattern we see in how Jesus goes about relationship. And we thought it'd be fun if all three of us had a chance to sit and talk about it together because we've walked this journey for a long time. So Doug and Ryan, my college buddies, are gonna join me today. Very nice of some of you to clap for them. Uh, we're gonna have a great conversation today that I believe will be fruitful and beneficial for you, but first, let's pray. Jesus, thank you. Thank you for the gift of relationship that you have given us. First and foremost, that you love us, that you want relationship with us, and I pray today that we would see the simplicity of your heart and the simplicity of how you go about relationships. Would it guide and lead us in our own, in our lives? And it's in your name we pray, amen. amen. All right, fellas. Thanks for having us, man. Yes, yeah. the honor is all yours. Um, so in this story, we've been talking about, there's this pattern, and you'll see this in a lot of interactions that Jesus has with different people, and we put it into three simple words. Initiation, conversation, restoration. There's a, a pattern you'll see, and we're gonna talk through what that means today. Let's start with initiation. 
Yeah, initiation and not, I think you say initiation, a lot of people think like fraternity initiation. That's not, although Jesus kind of had a little mini frat, so maybe there was some of that, I don't know. Um, but that's not what I mean. Um, initiation as in being the one to initiate conversations, being the one to begin the intentional interaction and intentional conversations, entering into that. Uh, I mentioned this briefly last week, and Gen Z, not to throw you under the bus, this is not all of y'all. This is just, it's uh, all of our generations have sort of generalities about us, and one thing they're saying about Gen Z, and I think this is also true about millennials, our generation, is we would rather quit a job and go find a new job than talk to our boss about a raise. And usually it's followed up with like an email that says, you didn't value me enough and that's why I left via email. But all because we were afraid of not even conflict, but just the potential of conflict. Um, conversation in general, that we would rather find a new job. And so it's, the, it's this idea of initiating and being the one to enter into starting the conversation. This is John 3.16. The scripture Tim Tebow wrote that all of us know, for God so loved the world, that he left everything. He left paradise, he left heaven, put on skin and bone, came to this planet for us. He initiated towards us. That's what love does, it initiates towards. This is what Jesus did for Peter that morning. Even when Jesus was the one who was wronged, even when Jesus did nothing wrong and owned the sin for everybody, and now his best friend Peter's denying him and then running away, Jesus still is the one who initiates towards him. Um, when Jesus uh, is the last person who needs to apologize and should be apologized to, he goes and finds them. This is typical for uh, married couples often. I'll just use my wife and I my beautiful wife and I as an example. Um, oftentimes in marriages, you have one person who's sort of the escalator and then one person who's the withdrawer when it comes to conflict or communication. Um, she is the escalator, she'd be the first to tell you that. And I tend to withdraw. Speaking in generalities, not true for everybody. Typically females escalate and typically males withdraw. And so for Sam, she'll, her emotions will bubble up and mine will get bottled up and I'm fine until I'm not, and then one day it all comes out, and I'm angry, and I'm quietly angry until then. But the beautiful thing about um, escalators, and my wife specifically, is she's usually the one who ends up initiating towards me when I am just giving her the cold shoulder and sort of punishing her by removing my awesome presence from her life. <laughs> you are not gonna get the gift of my presence. That's how mad at you I am and she will initiate in my direction. It's often, oftentimes in the church too, I'm belaboring this point, but in the church, what you'll see patterns of is like if people are around for a while and then all of a sudden sort of sometimes disappear and maybe feel like um, I'm not appreciated or, and so you'll, you'll leave for a season and, and hope that somebody reaches out to you. And it's sort of like a game of hide and seek. We have the hiders who go, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, and I hope somebody's gonna seek after me. And what I love about this room right now is this is a room full of people who are, who are seekers, that just like Jesus, we're made in his image, the same way God came for us, it is our calling to go for people, 
to go after people? What if, what if every person in this room over the next week made an observation of somebody they haven't seen around church in a while and shot them a, a text message? Or thought about the one person I'm gonna invite to Easter, I'm, an, I'm gonna initiate towards you. Uh, there's a great theologian, Adam Sandler, in a movie called Big Daddy. Um, <laughs> He's got this foster kid, Julian, that he's looking after, and he uses Julian one afternoon in the park to um, initiate conversations with females. And so he has Julian pretend like he's lost, and Julian runs up to this girl, Layla, who's having a picnic by herself, and he's like, help me, I'm lost, I don't know where I am, I don't know where I live, and she goes, oh my gosh, okay, and then Adam Sandler comes running up and going, oh my gosh, there you are, and strikes up the conversation, and it works, and then he's tucking Julian into bed at the end of the night and says, what did we learn today about girls, buddy? And he says, initiating the conversation is half the battle. And Adam Sandler says, bingo, and says, good night. And so initiating, just like that's the initiating love of God towards us in the same way, I think we are called to initiate towards other people. There's something in the way that Jesus initiates in this story and always with people that there is a conversation approaching. They're in the boat and they know that they're gonna probably have to talk about some stuff, but the way he initiates leads Peter to literally jump out of the boat and swim to go see him, when most, most of the time when somebody sends that text like, hey, we need to talk, I'm like, oh, here we go, like, oh, I'm, I'm fully booked this week, but um, let's try post-Easter and then we can have this confrontational conversation. And I think that leads a lot of us to avoid conversation, but there's something to the initiation that we miss a lot. And uh, share a little bit about conversation and how you've seen good and bad going through that initiation before. Yeah, and the conversation part, this is the hard part. Um, I've gotten this wrong so many times over the years. I've learned so many lessons That's true. along that's the way. That's true, yeah. yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, by the way, I wanted to talk to you about a raise, if that's okay. I'm busy this week, yeah. <laughs> Go find a new job. <laughs> I'll shoot you an email in a week. Um, yeah, I've gotten it wrong so many times. And still to this day, um, I, I think... I think we missed the mark on two different sides. Like, there's two extremes here. The first being, um, we have groups of friends or romantic relationships where we go, you know what? Since I love them, just anything goes unconditionally. I'm never going to rock the boat. I'm just going to, to check off on however they feel that day. I'm going to tell them to, to go for it. And it's like these conversations, these, like, good gospel, ironing, iron sharpening, iron conversations just don't happen as often as they should happen. I'll tell you what happens to, to us a lot is I'll be in the middle of a pastoral meeting with somebody and we'll be having a, a difficult conversation and in the middle of it, one of the things I'll be thinking is I'll, I'll, I'll get really sad because I know that this person has a community around them. I know that they have friends around them. I know that they're going to shows and that they're, they're going to the rodeo and they're having fun, like I know that. And so the question for me is why am I the first person bringing this up to them? Like friends, like where are you at there? Do you, you know what I mean? Like that initiation and that conversation, it's, it's tough to rock the boat sometimes. And so I think the first mistake that we make when it comes to conversation is just like, oh, you know what? Everything's good. And we kind of, we call that love, you know? Yeah, there's a, there's a verse. Now I'm blanking. It's like 1 Peter or 2 Peter. It's in there, though. It's in one of them. 
Um, I promise, it's in one, it's first Peter or second Peter where he talks about false teachers. And I used to always read that and think, false teachers, this is the prosperity gospel teacher who says, you know, God will make you rich, or it's the, or it's the wolf in a sheep's clothing that intentionally leads people astray. And, and yeah, probably some of that out there. Um, but I think the greatest, largest source of false teaching is well-meaning Christian friends who give you bad advice based on emotions because they don't wanna rock the boat, they don't wanna confront you. So they'll tell you what you want to hear, that's the verse, they tell you what your itching ears want to hear and give advice like, you know, yeah, live together, you love each other, you know, or yeah, it's, you can get hammered two nights a week. Jesus would have been at the bar, <laughs> you know? And we used to, we but for real. For each other. We, right. we played that We played that card until, and it's like, yeah, Jesus was in it with the people, having dinner and with tax collectors and sinners, absolutely, so not to swing the pendulum clear to the other side, until we realized every time Jesus was, he either saved everybody or rebuked everybody, so which one of those two things did the three of you guys do last night? (laughs) Or are you just sort of using that as like, well, Jesus would have been there, so you can just, okay, yeah, so you're gonna just continue partying like crazy, and none of you guys are, nobody's going, hey, should we have maybe a conversation that's slightly confrontational about this with each other? Because loving somebody doesn't mean allowing them to sit in something that's killing them, right? Problem though is then we become, like we did this, walk into becoming a Christian and you're like, okay, well I just need to swing the pendulum and go after everybody and all the sin in their life, right? Totally. So if one extreme is just like unconditional acceptance about everything, the other extreme is this like weird call out culture that happens in Christianity sometimes where it's like everything has to be a difficult conversation all the time. Um, We, uh, 15 years ago, started on one extreme and then when we started to, like when God started to get a hold of our lives and we started to read the Bible a little bit, we, and I was the the biggest culprit in this, swaying the pendulum to the other side where it was like everything became Uh, hey, we gotta have a heart-to-heart here. Hey, I gotta call you on your stuff right now, like out of love. And what happens is friendships and relationships turn into like projects that you're always working on instead of people who are like hanging out and love each other, right? And so these two extremes, it's so hard, man, to avoid. It's like when you're bowling, there's a gutter on each side. And it's so hard to to stay away from both of them. But Jesus did this perfectly. And and his example was relationship. It all came back to relationship. I'll say it this way. He cared way more about people than the problem. And so oftentimes for me, I'll feel myself starting to care more about the problem than the person, going like, I just wanna fix this. I I wanna like heal this so that we can move forward and I stop thinking about the person and that's always a sign for me that I need to take a deep breath I need, to, I need to slow down, I need to talk to these guys because we're about people first, right? And so like even, even there in, in John 21, Jesus throw, tells him to throw the, the net to the other side like Ethan read a little earlier. Well, that's straight from Luke chapter five where the first time he met Peter, that's the way that he initially called him to come follow me. And so Jesus, in the middle of this, this really 
this moment that could be really tense where there's a lot of problems that they probably need to address, he's just pranking his friends. Like he's playing a joke on them, which is like guy language for, hey, just so you know, we're good. Like, yeah, we'll get to the problem. Yeah, we'll talk about this stuff, but I love you and I'm here for you and I'm with you, right? So I, I just, I love that picture of Jesus all throughout the gospels. Zacchaeus, we could tell stories all day. Zacchaeus, Luke 19, right, what, what does he do? Zacchaeus has like all of these, um, he's, he's probably, Zacchaeus, his entire life has probably been one big call out from other people. He was a tax collector, so he was uh, seen as a traitor, and so all of his old friends probably called him out all the time. His parents probably called him out on it all the time, and then he's expecting Jesus to do that, and instead Jesus just goes, hey, let's go to your place. Let's go have some dinner. Let's sit down together. I wanna get to know your story. Yeah, Jesus has this amazing way. I feel like when people interacted with him, just starting from like the look in his eye, they could see like, hey, I'm for you. I'm with you. Zacchaeus is hiding in a tree. Generally, we think that's because he was short and he couldn't see Jesus over the crowd. It's also probably because he didn't wanna be down in the mix with everybody because people were gonna cheap, probably like punch him, you know, like, I've gotta be away from everybody else, but I am curious about this rabbi that I keep hearing about. And of all the people there, Jesus walks up and looks right at him. And this is what Jesus, he'll initiate, and sometimes that means he's gonna invite himself to your house. And he goes, I wanna spend time with you. It leads to a conversation that eventually Zacchaeus just is like, I'm gonna pay everybody back what I've taken, like times four, like I'm just, I'm a new person. That conversation happened. Jesus clearly called him on the life he was living, but he approached it with that initiation in such a way that from the look in his eye to the invitation to his house, that Zacchaeus knew he's not like everybody else. He's with me, he's for me. The story of the woman caught in adultery is the best example, we use it all the time, of grace and truth, where Jesus looks at her and he says, uh, hey, I'm not here to condemn you. Is there anybody left here to throw a stone at you? No, neither do I. I'm not here to condemn you. The look in his eye, like we always say, like try saying that with a frown on your face. Like, I don't condemn you, right? It's such a beautiful moment where this woman who probably, ex who expected to be killed, finds Jesus standing there going, I'm with you, I'm for you. Don't sin anymore. Now walk away from this. There's a conversation to be had too. That's like the one friend that would walk up like we were early in college of like, hey, I've got your back, just keep doing what you're doing, right? He doesn't just do that. He doesn't come straight up and go, hey, stop sinning. He initiates, I'm with you, I'm for you, now let's talk, because I've got more for you than the life that you're sitting in right now. Yeah, it's unconditional love that is grace and truth, and in that order too, the order matters. He extended grace to her, and then they got around through relationship to the truth part of it, and oftentimes I think we put a timeline on transformation for people. They've been in the church for two months, like, come on, like it should be, and those are man-made um, timelines. You know what I mean? Um, uh, this happens to me all the time where I'll know somebody will want to have a pastoral meeting with me and they just really need to talk about something probably heavy and you can tell it's church baggage need some religion, rehab, whatever it is, where they're nervous. They're very, very nervous to come talk to a pastor um, and then find out the whole first conversation is just, hey, I, I'd love to hear about your story. 
I'd love to hear about the backstory that got you into this office in the first place. And we'll get around to you know the rest of it, um, whether later in this conversation or the next conversation, but I want this to happen through relationship. And I love what you said about the facial expression of Jesus, the countenance of God. And I think it's a, a big deal how you picture God's facial expression towards you is especially in the immediate aftermath of sin. Um, because your sin doesn't change his countenance of a proud father. And it's sort of, I mean, we, we teach this in our power couple thing. It's hard to believe this stat, but it's true. 93% of communication is nonverbal. And 7% is what you say. And so you're, like for instance, parents, when your teenager comes to you to maybe confess something, get something off their chest, or, hey, I need to talk about this pretty serious thing, you get one shot at what your face looks like for your initial reaction after they say, and that's gonna stick with them. Three seconds of a facial expression, if it's the wrong one, if it's, a, if it's shocked or disgusted, like that, that might take a decade to undo. And so the eyes of Jesus, I just picture every time like he, he saw Zacchaeus or when Peter swam back onto the beach and they had breakfast or the first time Mary Magdalene meets Jesus to see how he is non-verbally communicating grace. It's everything. Um, that's why like when we preach, well, uh, you're my smilers, I know who you are. Um, some of y'all need to remind your faces how happy you are to be in church. <laughs> and smile a little bit. Um, but I'll find my smilers because that nonverbal communication says everything, gives confidence, you know what I mean? Yeah, there's, and, and like marriage, it's taught me, it doesn't matter if I'm saying I'm listening or if I'm speaking something that I mean in love, if my arms are crossed, if I'm not looking at my wife, if my phone is out, like there's so many ways we just immediately give off the vibe to people, like there's no initiation here, like, here goes another conversation, but I'm not really paying attention. Or I want you to hear what I'm saying, but you can't hear me because of just the look on my face. And Jesus was the master of this, which you see in the story that Peter swims into the shore, and then they have this interaction with each other where Jesus is now dealing with the problem, which is that Peter has denied him three times. And nobody feels worse about this than Peter. That's why he's fishing again. He's, he believes now, like, that dream is dead. Jesus doesn't want anything to do with me anymore. I'm going back to my old life. And Jesus asked him three times, hey, Peter, do you love me? And Peter's like, yes. Do you love me? Yes. Do you love me? Yes. And Peter's thinking, I see what you're doing here. Three times you've asked me. Three times I denied you. You're pointing to the deepest place of pain in me. And what Peter's probably expecting, what's fair to Peter in that moment is for him to go, you say that, but you denied me in the most crucial moment, so John's in charge now. You need to go find a new rabbi. Instead, Jesus goes, okay, go feed my sheep. You got a job to do. You've got an identity that I've restored now, that you'll now know from here on out, from the look on my face, from my inside joke on the beach to this conversation that I'm for you, that I'm with you, I've got a purpose for you. And what you're about to go do is start a church that is gonna change the course of history. But for you to do that, I need you to know how I feel about you. And it's that I don't define you by your worst mistake. I haven't snapshotted you in that moment. 
Instead, I remember when you were this punk little fisherman who had no idea what he was doing with his life. You were lost and broken, and I said, hey, throw your nets to that side. I have abundance for you. Come with me. I remember you then. I remember the moment, Peter, when you were the one who said, you're the Christ. You're, you're who we've been waiting for. You were the guy. I know you in that moment. And here's what I can see in you, Peter, is what you can't see yet is who you're about to go be, who, what you're about to go preach. That's how Jesus goes about initiation and conversation. Now, we practically, we don't go about it that way so often. It's that text of, hey, we need to talk, and you get to the dinner, and it's immediately like, okay, so you hurt me in this way. Yeah. Instead of first humanizing the person and remembering who they are in those moments and not snapshotting them with the one thing that is the issue right now, first creating that safe space of relationship to have the important conversation. That's so good. And so I think the challenge is, as we move to restoration, the, the final part of, of this formula, is do you have a snapshot of a relationship in your life that you are holding on to? Did somebody do something to you six years ago and you've frozen them in that moment six years ago and have just decided that that is still who they are today? This is a very Jesus move to take that snapshot and go, you know what? I'm not going to define that person by that thing anymore. Now, all the balancing statements, snapshots are still information. Like if you had a business partner that stole all your money and betrayed you, like let's probably not start another company with them. You know, there's wisdom to this. But let's also acknowledge that they have probably grown since then. They're probably embarrassed by what happened and it may be time to do some forgiveness in your own heart, still with boundaries, um, but let's let the gospel melt away some of that, that hard-heartedness that, that comes because the ultimate goal is always restoration. Like, like you just said, Ethan, with Peter, thank God Jesus didn't snapshot a moment of, of Peter's life and just define him by that. No, instead he restored him and then you turn uh, your Bible to the next page, it's called the book of Acts, and you read Acts 1 and Acts 2 and by the end of Acts 2, Peter is preaching to 3,000 people and a whole bunch of people are getting baptized and it's like, like it's happening. Right, all because Jesus was a, a master at restoring people through relationships, taking that initiation, having the conversation, and ultimately leading to restoration. Yeah, one of the staff values we have here is we are family, and one thing it says is, well, first of all, if I'm frustrated and I need to vent, um, I find the right person and, and vent, but for the sake of releasing, not for the sake of ruminating, that becomes gossip. And they look, it's so easy to call gossip just, I'm venting, no you're not, you're ruminating, you have we zero. We do it with prayer requests. Hey, we <laughs> need to be praying for this person, let <laughs> yeah. me tell you for the next 10 minutes why. Yeah. <laughs> but one thing we say, one thing we say a lot is, um, I'm not gonna continually go home mad at that person. I'm not gonna take my frustrations to somebody else on repeat. I'm going to initiate towards them and have the conversation for the sake of, of restoration. Um, that's, that's the whole point of Matthew chapter 18. We won't read it, but if, you're, if what I just said, you go, that's me, that's for me, Matthew 18 is your chapter this week. Just go read it. Um, but yeah, initiation, conversation, all for the point of, of restoration and the willingness to say I was wrong. Oh yeah, well I think a yeah. lot of conversations that like we have couples come to us and maybe they need to have a conversation together. Sometimes it's we are struggling with this dynamic with in-laws. 
Right. We're struggling with parents. We're struggling with friends, whatever those dynamics are. And it's either I'm going to avoid the conversation completely yeah. or I'm just going to go straight at it. And I think what we forget a lot of the time is we have the same goal here. Right. Like our family wants to be happy and together and love each other. Everybody wants that. For some reason, we can't get there. And I think it's because we rush to that conversation and either just say our piece and you can take it or leave it and we forget to first identify, hey, we love each other, we are a family and we're gonna walk out of here still a family, we're gonna walk out of here together, that all gets missed and we just go straight to that middle ground and I feel like that's why, that's like chronic conflict in so many relationships and families is because it's mm. all the conflict without any of the initiation and any of the restoration. Yeah, and to get practical even about like parents, in-laws, kids just for a second. Um, one thing Deborah Newport, Newport pointed out to us at Power Couple was scripture um, doesn't say obey your mother and father, it says honor your mother and father. Big difference. Now if you're under their house, uh, under their roof, then honoring your mother and father looks like obeying your mother and father. But if you've began another family, you know, I think oftentimes in our culture, it's sort of like, okay, our, our daughter's gonna marry this guy, we're getting a new son into our family. And while that's true, it's the secondary truth. The primary truth is they are starting a new family that now needs to not always obey what we say, but honor what we say. So when it comes to Christmas and Thanksgiving and where are we gonna spend it and what's healthy for us, honoring your father and mother, but when it comes to this whole idea of conversations, honoring is initiating towards, not withdrawing. Honoring is having the difficult conversations, looking them in the eye, and seeking to get restoration regardless of how long it takes to get that. Um, that's what honoring looks like. One practical thing within that is to not have that conversation over text message. Yeah, or while you're hungry or tired. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> yes, um, <laughs> amen, babe, yes. Um, and the, the willingness to say I was wrong. And so I remember just a, a, a restoration story in college. This was after the uh, hyper grace, no truth season, where I swung the pendulum with you to the hyper truth, no grace season. And you had a, you made a mistake one week with a, a one night stand in that season. And I asked him if I could share this, don't worry, I'm not just. I did, I did what? What? <laughs> and Ethan came to me, Ethan came to me and said, dude, I need to talk to you, man. And just like, he, he needed to confess, he needed to get it off his chest, he needed to, he was, he, like, he's like, I fell, I wanna fall forward, and I need my brother here. And I just could not have mishandled it worse. And I took on the role of Mr. Truth Pharisee, basically, where I was like, I was like bro, come on, man. Like, we're, we're supposed to be like leaders in this college ministry, and dude, there's, there's more, there's more in you than that, Ethan. Like, this is ridiculous. And, and completely missed an opportunity, uh, cared more about being right than about being like Jesus, and um, misrepresented the heart of God in every way. Um, almost walked away from that in, in the next few days realizing like, Basically what I did was go, You're, you messed up. Like, thank God I don't publicly struggle with a hookup. I only privately struggle with porn and pain pills. And that's way better, you know, for real. And like, self-righteousness will make you rank sin so fast. <laughs> Where from God's vantage point, it's the same, man. 
Some of it hurts you more than other sin, but none of it changes God's feelings about you. And then a few days later, that part two of that conversation that was just so good, um, where it was that heart to heart where you said, hey man, I was wrong, I sinned, I messed up. I said, I was wrong, I was self-righteous, I messed up. I misrepresented the heart of God. And it led to this restoration and brotherhood in ways even more than it was prior to that. And it was, it was conflict is only problematic when you avoid it. So if you have conflict with somebody, it's only a problem when you avoid it. Otherwise, when you initiate into it, that becomes an opportunity to be closer than you were before that conflict even happened. Yeah. yeah I realized in that time too that a lot of, because shame leads you to hide things, a lot of the question for me was like, but have you given your friends a window into like what's really going on in you and why you're finding yourself in these places? And for a lot of us, I think we expect everybody to be able to read our minds and know our hurts instead of having those conversations. In that time as well, there was a guy in our small group and his girlfriend was flying in from out of town to spend a weekend with him. And of all the guys in our group to call to ask like, how do I go about this? Like what are boundaries? He called me. And in that time, I was like, I know why you called me because I'm, gonna, I'm still the friend who's just gonna justify whatever you wanna do, man, just go do that. And then on the other end of the pendulum, we you know, went into those times of like, I'm so mad at you for your, you know, that Pharisee mindset. And out of real healthy conversation and deciding we're not gonna let this stall us, we're gonna walk beyond this, it led us to a place where now I feel like, and for a lot of years after that, have been able to look at each other and go, the second I screw up, or if I'm struggling with something, I want to go to you, or I want you to know you're the, I'm the first person you could go to. Yeah. Because I'm with you, I'm for you, I love you, I've got your back. It doesn't mean I'm gonna justify something in your life if it's killing you. I'll converse with you about that, but first and foremost, you always know that I'm, I'm for you. I see you as a human being, and it took us, we spent a month where we were, we were on a year trip where we were in the same room basically for an entire year, we spent a month where every night we would all talk through our deepest pains, all the relationships we'd had, all of the mess ups, all the things we regretted, all the places of shame, to the point that at the end of it, we all felt like new people. It was like we just vomited all this stuff out of us to each other and kept getting met with, hey man, I'm still with you. I can see now why that happened. Hey, I can, I can tell you some truth right now to walk you out of the way that you feel about yourself and uh, came out the other side, and I remember saying to Ryan, I was like, man, why has this been so good? And he was like, this is what counseling is. Like, you, you actually just talked out, you actually verbalized and had that conversation, always finishing those conversations with restoration, of reminding each other, this is who you are. This is the future God has for you. So if there is something that needs to be dealt with, we're gonna deal with it together, and I'm in it with you, because I see who you're about to be. I see what God has for you. Tim Keller has an amazing quote that sums all of this up so nice. Um, he says, to, to be loved but not fully known is comforting, but it's superficial at some level. So our love for each other before we shared all of those stories was at some level counterfeit, right? But then he goes, but to be fully known and rejected, that's our greatest fear. That's why it's so hard for us just to be honest with each other. And then he goes, but to be fully known and truly loved is a lot like being loved by God. So that's how God knows us and loves us, and that's how we are all trying to treat one another. That's real relationships. And that had to be how, how Peter felt that morning. And the woman caught in adultery, you could say that started as the worst day, the worst morning of her entire life. And it 
you could also say it finished the most powerful best day of her entire life because everything she was so afraid of anybody knowing about her was found out and exposed in every way. And she was met with unconditional love from God. You know what I mean? And there's that, that's called freedom. And that's our calling is to give each other the same sort of, of unconditional love, which is in the, in the right order, grace and truth. And if we can seek to approach each other how Jesus did, I think if there is a snapshot in his mind when he looks at us, it's of a cross and an empty tomb. That's the snapshot. Um, so as we head into the Easter season, we have a lot of initiators in this church, a lot of inviters, a lot of people um, coming here and that we wanna keep helping you grow um, in relationships, first and foremost with your relationship with God. Um, so we're gonna get practical for a second, give you some updates on some things you can be a part of here um, coming out of this relationship series because it's one thing to all like hear good truth and get fired up, but then if there's no practical way to go put that into place, it can just stay theory. And so um, one of those things in helping you grow in your relationship with God is a discover course called The Story of God. We have over 100 people already signed up for this. It starts on Wednesday the 22nd. You can sign up in the lobby. The Newports are amazing Bible teachers and we would love to have you in this class because there's so many people who have opinions about the Bible and about Jesus who have never read his story. And there's so many of us who wanna know more and dive deeper into it and understand more and more of the approach of Jesus to life and relationship and ultimately his redeeming work. And so we would love for you to be a part of that class. You can sign up for that. Uh, on a relationship level of uh, dating engaged married couples, in November we did an event called Power Couple. And we had 75 couples in this room and we had 10 sessions all in one day talking about biblical foundation for marriage, communication, conflict, all kinds of stuff. We turned that into an online experience for you that is available starting today where you can go through these 10 sessions. We have some homework for you uh, to go along with it and would love for you couples to take advantage of this. And we wanted to create this as a timeless opportunity for you to do some couples work together. We get asked a lot of meetings and counseling and premarital counseling and so we thought, what if we made something that's available all the time anywhere to the couples of our church to help you grow? So take advantage of Power Couple. We'll keep putting the word out about how to get involved with that. Um, and we got baptism coming, a chance for you to proclaim your faith. That'll be in May. Um, would love for you guys to sign up to get baptized. And we also are heading into the Easter season and need to make room for a lot of people. Yep, and so big announcement coming your way right now. You guys ready? You ready? Okay, new service times starting after Easter, but we're gonna start with Easter because everything, and here's, here's why, okay. Easter weekend, Good Friday service in this room at 7 p.m. And it's gonna set your heart right for the entire weekend. And it's gonna give way more meaning to your Easter service and Resurrection Sunday. And I wanna really challenge you and encourage you to be at this Good Friday service in this room, Friday, 7 p.m. And then Easter, the rest of these five are five Easter services, uh, 4 p.m. and 6 p.m. on Saturday. Bright and early, 7 a.m., 9 a.m. I'm looking at you. I think there's some 7 a.m.ers in this room. This By the way, right there's no Red Rocks kids at the 7 a.m. service. That's the only one without kids. All the other services we will no have. No kids at 7, but the other four available. there are. So this is Easter Sunday, and then starting the following weekend after this, here's what's gonna happen. Service times are changing. We are adding Saturday evening services. Um, 
and going back to two services on Sunday morning for the time being. We'll see what happens. But, and we reserve the right to be wrong about service times, stay flexible with us. There's something crazy happening at this church and we are trying to move the ceiling, move the lid further and further up to make room for everybody who is experiencing God at this church. And so Saturday evening services at four and 6 p.m. Every Saturday from that point on, there is kids at, the, at all of these, by the way, and then nine and 11 on Sunday morning. And all of that begins starting Easter Sunday. Does that sound good? And for some of you, your mission trip is to start going to Saturday night church to make room for Sunday morning people. We need you. That's a great mission trip. All of you who have asked, are there mission trips here? Yes, <laughs> to every Saturday, Saturday evening services. Specifically the 4 p.m. I'm looking at you. You guys got what it takes to come to the 4 p.m. on a Saturday. No, we're actually really, that's how our church started was evening services. And I love church in the evenings. And that's gonna be those are gonna be fun nights. And so, guys, make some noise for my college buddies, Ryan and Ethan. Great job, you guys. Uh, will you guys stand up? We're gonna go into a time of worship, but um, yeah, in lieu of all of the, all those announcements, um, I just wanted to let you in on, I guess, what God's been speaking to my heart. And it's rooted out of John chapter four. I'm not gonna read it or anything, but it's basically, um, it's the woman at the well, if you wanna go read it later. And once again, it's grace and truth with this woman also. And it ends up causing this sort of revival to happen in, in Samaria. And all because of one interaction with Jesus. And his disciples um, are talking to him. And Jesus, they're talking, Jesus starts talking um, agriculture and farming. And he talks about sowing season and watering season and harvest season. And he said, you guys have this saying that harvest season is four months away. Just like we have sayings today, they had sayings back then, harvest season is right around the corner. We have sayings all the time, I believe like with revival, it's kinda like having, bear with me, it's kinda like having a dog. It's, it's almost way easier and better as an idea. We all love the idea of a dog, and then you get a puppy, and you're up four hours a night, and you're like, this is, this is terrible. This is such hard work. Um, we love to pray, Lord, send revival. Revival's around the corner. And it's just easier and safer to keep it as something God is about to do. But what happens when you are starting to see, I think God is doing it now. That means it takes more sacrifice from us. That means it takes flexibility with service times. That means it takes continuing to sow financially into this place so we can continue to, to make heaven more and more crowded. It calls more, from, it calls more from us. If you're a farmer, you know harvest season requires the most from you. Um, sowing season, you get to go whenever you want to. You decide when that happens. But harvest season, the ground decides. And the ground in Austin has decided that right now is time for us to go for it. It's time for us to sacrifice. It's time for us to be not agents of salvation, but agents of invitation and get our people into this place to hear about Jesus. Whatever it takes, this life is short. Jesus is coming back any day, might be this week. What are you saying, man? It's not four months from now. It's not around the corner. It's here and now. And so would you guys join me in prayer for this next season, then we're gonna worship. Holy Spirit, thank you for choosing God, for whatever reason, to use this community and this church to play a very key role in this city for reaching the lost. 
And I just pray in Jesus' name that we ain't seen nothing yet. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.